Welcome to the lounge. The show where I, Jesse Edmond, aka Doc Palindrome, talk to just the coolest, fun, awesome people in the gaming industry. And I got to hang out with a bunch of them, which was really cool. At QCC, I didn't get quite as many interviews as I was hoping to. Um, just time and various other things happened. But what I didn't get in quantity, I make up for in quality, like today. I've got Eric Simon of Four in the Hand Games. And I've also got, after that, Jason Cordova from The Gauntlet. Yes, that one. That's the guy. I'm talking with him. I don't know. I don't know what you're still listening to me for. Let's let's get you to these interviews because they're awesome. They're just plain awesome. I'll see you on the other side. We're still at Queen City Conquest, and I have Eric Simon, uh, creator of Steamscapes and Rocklips. Hello. How you doing, man? Doing all right. Um, we just had lunch, which was which was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, how's your con been? It's been pretty good. I, I mean, I love the uh, just sort of the the feel of QCC. Uh, the the thing that I really appreciate about it is, as an industry person, I get some cons. Uh, certainly, Metatopia is an example uh, where I feel like I can mingle with industry folks, mm-hmm. and then there's other cons where. I, I can't really do that. Like Gen Con and Origins, I don't do that really because uh, I am constantly working and constantly working with fans and customers. And this is more of the I get to hang out with people, but it's I get to hang out with all of the people. Yeah. So it's not just industry folks. There's such a, a, a blending of industry folks and players, uh, you know, designers, players, fans, whatever, and they're just all hanging out together. And I love that feel. I, you know, you you, you hit the nail on the head, um, uh, which is not a phrase I ever use, but <laughs> um, it, because. I think back to, so I went to lots of comic book conventions and science fiction conventions and gaming conventions in the like 90s. And I was like, okay, that's whatever. And then uh, I made a short horror film and I'd never been to a horror convention before. And so we were playing it and I'm like, I'll just go and be in my character for the film the entire time <laughs> and be a real jerk because he was a real jerk. Um, and, you know, but I'm like, I don't do, I don't like conventions. And it was that though it was like you know Reggie Bannister is going to hang out with you at the bar and have a drink with you and like oh there's you know uh, 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 Bruce uh, Evil Dead uh, Campbell Bruce Campbell you know who's like just chilling with people you know you could go up to him and say and buy him a drink if you wanted to mm-hmm. um, like and I was like wait what why isn't this separated <laughs> but that's this feels that same way like yeah. You sit down at a table and, you know, I've, so many, it's happened so many times. It's happened with you. Yeah. You know, oh, you created this really cool thing mm-hmm. um, that I want to have a conversation about. Right. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I've been to Gen Con a couple times, um, and it's fun and all, but it's more fun for the spectacle of it, I think. 
Yeah, I mean it's it's not fun for me right now because well, I'm working every pretty much every second. You're I'm doing on the, the clock. Yeah. yeah, if I'm not sleeping, I'm working. Yeah, when it yeah. comes to Gen Con, so that's yeah. hardcore. And that's you work for uh, Ulysses North America. Yes. Yeah. So I do uh, get to run some of my games when I'm at Gen Con, and I have to schedule time off of my other job to do my to do that job. Yeah. So you know it's it's. <laughs> 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 Woohoo! <laughs> Sometimes I'm, if I'm lucky, I get to do my other job. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um, well, I'm glad you, that you got to chill out and, and relax, um, and uh, and and you've had a good con. Um, any like specific highlights? I mean, I really one of the things that I specifically wanted to do was uh, to get to play uh, Arun okay uh, which is the the new new agenda publishing game that they're, yeah. they're developing and because I you know I'd read the the PDF I'd read the quick start but uh, but I really wanted to play it and and have Eloy run it for me yeah. and that that's really great because I'm I'm uh, I'm one of the people I don't meet a lot of us, uh, but I'm one of the people who's actually played a lot of Hellas, uh, which is Jerry Grayson's uh, huge, uh, epic Greeks in space game. Mm -hmm. And Arun was hitting a lot of those same notes with some, I could tell that there was other influence in it. And I was just really excited about this project. Uh, so that was one that I, I definitely wanted to see. That was such a fun game. Mm -hmm. Like just, um, anytime I see sci-fi and, and, and I think, Oh, you're doing cool things with this, mm -hmm. you know, um, which I think we have the two weirdest characters in that, if I'm, if I recall. Yeah. 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 Well, boy, <laughs> how do you argue who's the weirdest character in that game? I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Um, but in, it was in a, a strange way, the humanoid guy was kind of the weirdest right? character. He ended up being, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All of us who looked more alien, we were we were the more reasonable people, uh, but <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Arun looks like I can't wait to get my hands on those rules, mm -hmm. like like that that full set. Yeah. Um, there, have there has there been anything that you you wanted to get to but didn't have a chance to do? Um, well, I was hoping to uh, to. Do actually a little bit more of the encoded design stuff, yeah. uh, but they're they're locked down all, all yeah. the time. All weekend, um, you know, and that's fine. It's their home con. Uh, they they deserve that, uh, and I'll I'm sure I will play the stuff at some point. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, I've never played Hydro Hackers. Uh, I've never played Turning Point, yeah. uh, and I we tried this morning, but I still have yet to play sequence. Uh, the, the, I can't believe it's not sequence. I can't believe it's uh, not sequence. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, but yeah. So uh, so all these things, I know about them. Yeah. But I haven't gotten to experience them myself yet, I, and, and I will. I'm I'm not worried about that. Uh, but uh, so that if I am missing anything, it's more encoded design stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, and hey, everybody who's on the network that this is on. <laughs> Let's do more of that. I guess I guess there can't be more of you. Maybe there could be. I don't know. Well, you know, maybe the company's reaching a point where they could have more of a team of uh, volunteer uh, demo folks. Who knows? That might not be a, a bad idea <laughs> for your home con, guys. Um, 
I, it's funny because I got to play, it was just happenstance, I got to play Turning Point. Mm -hmm. um, but I've never played Hydra Hackers, and I'm like, I love, I, I love Cyberpunk. Um, I think, were you, were you there when I was saying, like, I was mad at Phil for thinking of that idea before I did? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like, like that's something I, I want to get in on. But, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of the, 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 um, the, there's such a wealth of options, mm -hmm. and there's so many cool people. There's yeah. part of me that just wants to hang out with people all yeah. the time. So, um, but then it's like, oh yeah, but games are also fun. Yeah, see, it's easy for me. Um, so I'm I'm a high functioning introvert. Uh, okay, uh, very much so. So, uh, but but the best thing for me is roles and structure okay. in social situations. So unfocused social situations are hard for me. Sure. Uh, they, they're, they're draining and, and sometimes I'm just completely uncomfortable if it's a chaotic situation where there are people that I don't know. Um, you know, one or two people at a time, I'm good. Yeah. Uh, but with larger groups, it's, it's rough. Uh, so playing games is my socialization. That's okay. Uh, and that's that's... You know, that's, that makes perfect that's sense. That's what I do. That's, uh, <laughs> it's, hey, it's, it's also a great way to socialize mm -hmm. in in that way. Yeah, um, that makes a lot of sense too. Like, uh, I, I think I think you're probably describing a lot of people. I'm not alone in this. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> um, yeah, I. It's like I'm not. I don't think that applies to me. Uh, because I just, I've always just kind of been a social butterfly, which is why I do an interview show because I like talking to people. Right. Um, but uh, you know, I definitely, I definitely can can understand that vibe of like, there's too many things happening, mm -hmm. too much sensory input. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, I we when we were at lunch, I kept thinking of questions I want to ask you on the podcast. All right. Um, and w w the first one, I love to ask this question. Where did you start? How did you start gaming? So uh, I do <clears throat> enjoy telling the story because okay. my answer is different from most people's. Cool. Because uh, I did not play D&D as a kid. Nice. Uh, so I moved around a lot when I was a kid mm -hmm. and um, certainly contributing, though not the reason for my introversion. Sure. Um, but, uh, but I didn't really have... Uh, it was hard for me to find groups of friends for anything, let alone more geeky pursuits. Mm -hmm. um, and so I tended to do those more on my own. So I grew up in the 80s as a computer gamer. And in the 80s, that meant on my Commodore 64, I played the Infocom text adventures. And oh. then I built from there into... Um, into graphic stuff as things transitioned into graphics. So I played... My, my fantasy role-playing is Ultima. Yeah. Is the Ultima series. Um, and uh, <laughs> frankly, people should play uh, for at least four and five if they never have. Uh, it is a it is a unique experience. Even even if you're like a Final Fantasy completionist, you will find it loose and arcane uh, trying to get through everything in those two games. But uh, but yeah, so so it was those two and interestingly in uh, in the later days of Infocom, mm -hmm. uh, they did start doing graphic games themselves. And one of the early ones was uh, the Crescent Hawks Inception, which is a Battletech game. Yeah, yes. I remember it, that. Yes. So, uh, so the Crescent Hawks Inception was a Battletech game by Infocom, 
which is huh. bizarre when you think about it. And if you go back and look in sort of the context of both of those things going on, you realize this is a strange collaboration. But it it was a uh, I enjoyed it a lot, and it really like the the mecca of it got to me. And so when I started doing tabletop gaming and had some people to tabletop game with. It was with Battletech, yeah. and I was living in the western suburbs of Chicago in my later high school years, and so I could go downtown to the Battletech Virtual World pods um, back when they were really a thing okay. and not just a, a novelty at uh, conventions. Um, wow. So uh, wow. so I played the crap out of those and started playing Battletech Tabletop from there. And when I discovered that there was, oh, hey, there's this, and this was around uh, in college, uh, MechWarrior's 2nd Edition came yeah. out. Uh, so that was my first role-playing game, was <laughs> MechWarrior's 2nd Second Edition. Edition. <laughs> just to put it into perspective. Um, uh, and uh, and it's one of the reasons that my, my design white whale is... Um, I'm always looking for somebody who's going to successfully do what I always wanted and never quite got out of the MechWarrior games, uh, any edition, which is really getting both in and out of mech scale uh, as far as that experience to be fun. Mm -hmm. Like either um, you're you're hand, too hand wavy on the mech combat or... Uh, it's it you're not doing enough of the role play yeah uh, and it's it's that's it's a, a real challenge and I would love it, to see somebody really nail it it's uh, it's very much a thing I can remember when um, Artel Sorian put out um, a mech ton mm -hmm. and that's how they touted it and so we played it for I don't know an hour yeah and we we're like mm, this is not that nope <laughs> <laughs> no it is not um, but uh, yeah because I've, I've looked at most of the ones that have existed, um, but um, but yeah, so so it was that, and that was in college that I was starting to do that, and I had some friends at Northwestern who were starting up a vampire LARP. Okay, and so my first vampire <laughs> game was a LARP. <laughs> I LARPed before I tabletopped. Okay, in, in and the that was your second RPG. It was my second RPG. It was a vampire LARP. Um, so so yeah, my. I have a very different perspective on uh, on games because of those. Because I've, I mean, I've LARPed for years and years, mm -hmm. um, and did even storytelling on uh, large LARPs. And we're talking fifty-player weekly LARPs wow. uh, that I've story told on. Um, so that's that's a lot of work. Yeah, and and uh, and it's interesting because it gives me such a different perspective on some of the things that other people say. Uh, they're like, well, here's this interesting thing that you have to deal with when you're a GM and I'm like dude when you're storytelling 50 people a week I am doing that all the time yeah. like managing different expectations and and uh, you know trying to to balance different story arcs with characters uh, I mean that's that's the name of the game yeah in and that kind of campaign LARP um, so yeah th those were kind of my things and because of that you know I don't have the D&D nostalgia. Sure. So the the 20-sided die is my least favorite die <laughs> because I hate the math on it. Um, and uh, and because um, it's, uh, yeah, you'd think, oh, it's just 5% all, all the way across. But the problem with it is that it's always used as by itself, and it is so much 
it, it falls so much to the uh, small number probability problem. Um, and that is fundamentally my problem with uh, D20 games. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is the small number probability problem. You're like, well, I have this amount of chance. Yeah, but I'm only rolling once, and it is a very important roll. Yeah. And I'm going to fail because that's what happens. Um, <laughs> but, well, but, you yeah. know, it's funny because. That's a good point. I mean, a D, any D20 game is ends up being just, how can I stack my modifiers mm -hmm. so the chance of failure is just 1 in 20? Right, right. Um, and it's why, for instance, I actually like No Thank You Evil better than Numenera mm -hmm. because I think it makes more sense on a six-sider. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think the system makes more sense on a six-sider. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they use 3D6, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> But uh, it's crazy because, like, I'm thinking, uh, you know, of like D20 games, and I'm thinking of that. And I'm like, oh, that's really now. I'm thinking like, because I, I I play and run a bunch, <laughs> but I'm like, I feel like I, I would want to do the 3D6 instead. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, um, anyway. Yeah, and and uh, and and I like I don't like flat probability anyway, so yeah. it's an issue. Uh, <laughs> but. Um, Again, because I came from BattleTech, right? So I'm like, no, no, I, I want to, I, I want a, a, a hill in the middle, please. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, um, so, uh, yeah, because because I like the idea of there are zones where plus one matters more. Yeah. And if I'm at that zone, I'm going to make sure I get it. And if I'm way above or way below that eh, I'm not going to worry about it so much sure. and that's fine um, so that's anyway that's the one of the ways that I think about it yeah. but because of that you know it just there's so much of the conversation around design and, and play in, in the tabletop games uh, world mm -hmm. that assumes that you started with D&D right right uh, and <laughs> and because I didn't I have such a different viewpoint um, on on what I'm looking for in in both design and, and a play experience. Let me ask kind of a weird question that just on probability. Mm -hmm. um, so the game that really got me started, as I was talking about, was Face Rip. Right. And that's Percentile. Mm -hmm. Percentile kind of has that same it does. issue. It really does. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't... I, like, Percentile doesn't feel as bad, for the most part, obviously, that... The recent Gangbusters uh, series on, on Misdirected Mark uh, uh, may prove that <laughs> there are ways that percentile could feel even worse than a <laughs> D twenty. Uh, but um, uh, but yeah, percentile has very much a, a similar issue. Yeah. Um, and I think the best way I always love this because uh, people refer to percentile as D one hundred, and I'm like, no, no, that's a percentile dice. Let me show you a D100. Yeah. And I would love it if people would roll an actual D100 sometimes in a percentile system. Oh. Because you'd see very quickly how much this flat probability curve just is is painful. I ran uh, Marvel for a long time with people with D100s. With D100s? Nice. And first of all... <laughs> they take forever to the stop. The amount of time we spent <laughs> waiting for... We missed so much just staring at these stupid orbs. <laughs> like, just throw a golf, golf ball around the... Yeah. Um, could you... Is there a way to beat that curve? Could you do, so, like, 5D20 instead of D100? So, okay, so I have lots of answers to yes. this. I have lots of answers to this. Um, and it is... Uh, 
sort of the the fundamental hack for all cipher system uh, that that I'm like. If you do this at the table, I might play with you. Okay. If you don't, I don't think I want to play with you. Uh, and that is modification after the roll. Okay. Um, this is uh, like if you can spend effort after the roll in uh, Cipher System, I will play with you. Okay. Uh, because that having having that that adjustment resource. So Shadow of the Demon Lord does this. Uh, it does the D6. Um, you know, extra d6 bonus after the roll. Okay. Um, and so it's a d20 system that doesn't feel as painful. And even the fact that it does feel painful is still within genre for that game anyway. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that's fine. Uh, but, um, but yeah, modification after the roll is a huge one. And that's true for percentile also. Mm-hmm. Axon Punk does this. Uh, they have a percentile system. Uh, so I edited Axon Punk. Um, so I... I stared a lot at these mechanics <laughs> and, and threw some suggestions at them. Uh, but uh, uh, but they, you know, they, they have the, the adjustment after the roll uh, is, in my opinion, the biggest way to fix a flat distribution curve. Um, yeah. Is you have some resource that you can spend, so it gives you like, not just, here's my success range and I either hit it or I don't, but here's my success range, and below that there's another range where if I'm in there, I can use a resource to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it costs me. You know, so I've got, the, here's the free success range, here's the costing success range. And now I've got a little bit more of a, a break. Yeah, yeah. And it's, okay, so it's basically giving you, I mean, that's it's more options within the, the it's, it's not like, here's yeah. what you need to, well, pass fail is, Pass-fail is a problem anyway, yeah. but it feels, pass-fail feels worse on a flat distribution yeah. curve. Because um, might as well be flipping a coin. Um, <laughs> because, the, yeah, that's the, the other thing about D&D is the, the, the um, and, and Fifth Ed does this a lot less than previous editions, uh, but it's the um, illusion of progression. Mm-hmm. Uh, because as your bonuses go up, so does the target number. So you really, on the die, you're always trying to get to the same thing, on the die. Yeah. And you can remove all of the, once you remove all the layers of obfuscation, that's what you've got. Yeah. Um, and that bothers me. Uh, <laughs> you know what does that worse than I've ever seen before? Oh, what's that? Pathfinder 2. Mm. I have not read it yet, so I, I don't it's, know. That's very bad. Oh, God. It's very much like... <laughs> it's... Like, the the character creation and, like, the early stuff mm-hmm. is way more interesting than Pathfinder was. Cool. But... the is you, We <laughs> were like, well, let's level some characters up, see what it looks like. And it's like... we The same... Like, the skills I'm good at mm-hmm. and the skills I'm bad at have the same difference all the way up. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, uh, what's going on? And well, the difficulty is just, it's like, it is just like, may as well flip a coin. I mean, it's, at least that's better than uh, three, three, five, because <laughs> where the skills that you are bad at, you are never, ever going to roll yeah. after the first few levels. Why would you? Uh, <laughs> and you're never, ever going to put points in them because yeah. it's completely useless. Uh, but, um, but yeah, so, uh, so that's one way to do it. The the rolling multiples um, and taking best. That's that's a you know that depends yeah. on the um, 
on kind of the, the feel of the play, play experience. I will say I'm, I'm going to give a little little tease. Uh, one of the things that I like to do, um, so I design my own stuff, but I also, uh, and I have to share this, um, so Ali uh, Grauer and uh, Drew Merzieski, uh are, they're on the One Shot Podcast Network. They do Warda. Okay. Um, so that it's, it's very much a story, uh, and they do a game on Twitch and podcast, uh, and the fiction has always been the most important, but they are working on developing a game with it right mm-hmm. now. Um, and I was I was very privileged because uh, because uh, I've been kind of giving them some thoughts and, and giving them here are some I see where you're going with this, so here are some games to read that that might help you think about things in that zone. Um, and and Ali referred to me as the game doula, uh, which I'm like. <laughs> Yes, please, thank you. I I appreciate that so much. Um, and uh, and one of the things that that they're looking at, um, and and I'll spoil this just a little bit, is doing multiple dice rolls for an an extended action, and you don't choose the best; you take all of them. So you have to decide within the action. Where am I going to fail? Ooh. How many successes and critical successes or, or successes with complications do I have? Uh, and where do I put those in this scene? Yeah. Uh, and, and that, to me, is a really interesting kind of narrative tool. Huh. Of I know, going into the scene, I have this many of these kinds of successes and failures. What am I willing to give up to get the other things? You know, and that's... I think a, a fascinating choice for you know when you're even and they've got kind of incremental success uh, rates, um, but uh, but even if a if you had a binary pass fail, yeah, but you could decide within a scene, I've got five five thing five outcomes and I pick which part of it gets which outcome. I I think that's a really fascinating story. story. Yeah. Um, huh. So so basically. The the fix for pass fail and the fix for flat distribution curve overall is put more power in the hands of the players yeah. after the roll. Yeah. And and however you do that, there's a lot of different ways to do that. That's that's the key to me. It's funny because it reminds me of uh, a road trip I took back in the '90s where we were going to play. It wasn't D and D. It was uh, I don't remember what game it was. Um, but it was a 3D6. It might have been GURPS. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were like, well, if we're going to play while driving, we don't want to roll dice around because we're going to lose dice that way. So uh, we all rolled dice like 100 times and just wrote it down. And then as the game master was narrating, he'd say, roll, you know, all right, what do you get? And we'd choose. Mm-hmm. And it meant that we had to be very, like, ooh. Right. Yeah. Because we didn't know, like, what skill it would end up being until you're like, okay, well, you, you better use, you know, your, uh, it's GURP, so your astronaut acrobatic skill or whatever mm-hmm. specific skill it's going to be. <laughs> very, uh. very drilled down, <laughs> yes. Um, and... Uh, that's that's an interesting concept. I've never I've never really gone back to that because mm-hmm. I thought it was just a silly thing that we did. Um, 
But that's the idea of like you know you've got an ex- extended uh, extended action. You're choosing what oh, I like that. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and now let's let's talk a little bit about. Um, so I don't know much about Steamscapes. Mm-hmm. Um, what's what's the where where did that was that, was that your first game? Yeah, that was okay. the f- the first one. I I mean, obviously, I'd been storytelling. I'd been sure. running games forever. So, uh, you know, it's it's the oh, you're a game designer. If I had certainly achieved those uh, those minimal milestones. But, yeah. But uh, Steamscapes was the first published thing that I okay. put together. That I, I took through the the whole process of publishing, um, uh, and I did it at the time um, because. There were not a lot of steamsca- uh, steampunk games, mm-hmm. uh, just at all, uh, when I started working on it. By the time I actually published the first book, there were suddenly a bunch of them, and now there are continue to be more and more. Yeah. Um, but oddly enough, Steamscapes remains unique. So the the original thinking um, was I like there are certain things I like in settings. Um, I like a lot of detail for for provided settings. Uh, I like a lot of detail. Mm -hmm. Uh, I like a large number of factions that any of them could consider themselves the 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 uh, the hero, sort of, the, sure. the the good guys in a way, because uh, again, I came from BattleTech. Yeah, uh, and and so I was, uh, I I really appreciated that that world building of, yeah, there's no there's nobody who's right, but there's also nobody who's wrong. Right, uh, and I wanted that. You know, because that's also really true in history, mm-hmm. and whatever your nationalistic views are. You are in a nation that that is true of. We're not neither right nor wrong, right. Um, and uh, uh, and everybody's got things that they're trying to do, and maybe you support them, uh, at, but also everybody's got problems. Right. Um, and I like that. Uh, I like the idea that I can pick a, a bunch of. We can be working for any one of these. We can be from any one of these uh, places, and and there are different aspects to them and their different uh, features to them. Uh, so I built, you know, I wanted to build something historical, uh, you know, alt-historical, uh, and I was kind of tired of steampunk being a flavor that you toss into fantasy, mm-hmm. so I wanted no magic, um, so that was another thing. And then I also thought, you know, and I'm, I'm even... Even five years ago, I was already, and actually it's been more than that, seven years ago, uh, I was already um, uh, tired, and I've only gotten more tired of the just pro-imperialist bent of uh, almost all steampunk settings. Uh, And so I wanted something that that really shook that up, that gave indigenous peoples uh, more power, um, that gave... uh, oppressed groups, marginalized groups more power um, and, and gave them gave them something back, gave them more opportunities. Uh, so, you know, when I got to the, the Asia book, which is the, the second major setting book, um, I made sure that India succeeded in its rebellion. Uh, I made okay. sure that uh, China won the second, second opium war. And the, uh, you know, 
British East India Company was kicked out of almost everywhere in the region, um, and and so those were those were things that were important to me is is sort of decolonizing steampunk mm -hmm. as much as possible. And I talk about this all the time on blog posts and uh, forums, and just it's, it's a thing that yeah. I do. I said it in a panel here at this con, um, <laughs> uh, which I'm sure uh, the recording will be coming soon because uh, Chris will be oh, editing yeah. that and, and we'll, be out. we'll see that soon. Um, but uh, but yeah, so so that was the setting that I wanted to create, yeah. um, and that's so that's what Steamscapes is. It is a uh, an alt historical, uh, realistic, no magic. Uh, anti-colonial steampunk setting. Okay, uh, <laughs> that's that's awesome. Yeah. That's, well, it's, it it makes me think of um, when I when I started looking at steampunk in general. Uh, I went back to William Gibson, the Difference Engine, mm -hmm. which is. I don't know if it's the first, but like I think of that is. It's, as it's like, very early on. It's it's considered one of the seminal works. Yeah. Um, and there's no magic in that. Right. <laughs> there's no right. elves, even. Right. <laughs> Not even a dwarf, I don't think. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so much of uh, steampunk that's out there is either, um, you know, floating rock worlds with, with uh, magic coal um, yeah. fueling their airships, or it's, uh, it's what I call steam romance, yeah. um, which is the... Um, Oh, I'm I'm from London, and I'm out to save the world. Yeah, uh, you know that sort it's of thing. Pride yeah. and Prejudice and cyborgs. Yes, yeah. basically. <laughs> um, so that's uh, and and there's there's so much of uh, of the steam romance, but it's 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 super problematic. Mm -hmm. um, and and there's a lot of games out there that do that. Well, and it makes me think of Space 1899 mm -hmm. or 1889. And I've heard people say, oh, it's the quintessential work of steampunk role-playing game. I'm like, it's, that's, no. No. It's like saying, like, uh, A Birth of a Nation is the quintessential silent movie. Right. Like, it did some things, yeah. but it had some real issues. You yeah, it does, it does. Um, and and also, I'm I'm the first to, like be like, no, that's Victorian sci-fi, first of all. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and I'm very explicit uh, even as <laughs> even down to aesthetics of I can tell you no that's diesel punk that's not steampunk uh, uh, you know, and, yeah. and so I'm, I'm very clear on on my separation between genres and <laughs> but uh, but yeah that's just a thing that I do uh, <laughs> and so and, and then I wanted to also um, touch on Rockalypse obviously sure um, because that's getting tons of buzz mm -hmm. um, everybody I know that's played it loves it uh, it's an awesome concept. Um, and we talked at lunch, and I don't want to repeat that because I'm sure you've talked with interviews about that already. But um, the one of the things I wanted to ask is you, you went with, with doing combat with music. Mm -hmm. um, music isn't a thing that comes into role-playing a lot. Right. And Well, so here's the thing. It is, but people always think of it as, again, it's a flavor Sure. Um, it's it's like uh, you know I'm, I want to play this epic bard, yeah. um, or, or you know, like Phil, I want to play this epic rocker boy. Yeah. Uh, and and so you've got the those archetypes and, and people. Um, some people love them and some people roll their eyes when they appear, um, but they're always uh, kind of 
an add-on mm. to to the adventure, to the setting. Um, they're they're never central. Yeah, and um, and that's an issue to me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I feel strongly about that. Um, you know, and uh, it's it's interesting because. Um, and some people are like, oh, no, there's more music games coming out. And I say, no, bring them on. Good. I want to see more music games. Because, uh, we, honestly, we're all doing it differently. Sure. And um, and there's a lot of different things that people focus on when they're making a music game. And what I haven't really seen anyone do is what I've done, which is music replaces fighting. Yeah. Um, the The... Almost all of them are music and fighting. Or, yeah, we've got music and we're going to play music and that's what we do. Yeah. But they're never fighting with music. And that's, uh, you know, so, so I, again, it's interesting how even as other things get added to the genre, same thing with Steamscapes, I keep looking and I keep looking for people who are doing the same thing and I am and they're not. Yeah. Um, so I, that's why I always tell people, no, no, no. You think that other people have done this game, you should still do your you game because your game. it's going to be different. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, I, I feel that very strongly. Um, but yeah, uh, so, so yeah, uh, the, the, it's as far as the musical conflict, that was very important to me because it captured, uh, I think, the 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 ultimate end of the people who want to play that epic bard yeah um that's this is what you want this is <laughs> this is the thing that you're you're thinking you're going to get that these other systems don't quite give you yeah uh you know D D, &D doesn't quite let the bard play at someone and destroy them now you want to know which which edition does that the closest it's fourth uh, oh yeah! Fourth edition lets bards attack very well, and and staggering note is like the you know the yep. will power. It's like oh, yeah, you're playing a note at somebody and doing damage, and that's like <laughs> uh, that's the the you know one of the the better um, examples of of that in in the genre. But it's always you know it's just kind of a flavor thing yeah. in in fourth ed. But in here, it's uh, you know in Rockalypse, this is what you're do you're yeah. doing. Period. That's yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't wait to try this game. I can't wait. Um, it's one of those things that we're like now. It's definitely on my list of like play this game at a con mm -hmm. because I feel like that's going to be a, a great environment. Yeah. Um, and and everybody should go out and buy it. Um, <laughs> you're not. I think so. I'm not going to disagree. <laughs> um, what's next for you? Uh, so the thing that I've been uh, working on for a, a little while now is um, uh, it's called Soldiers and Serpents. Uh, okay. That is the, the current title of it. Uh, and it is a card-based role-playing game of angels fighting the war in heaven uh, at Lucifer's original fall. Um, so Wow. Yeah, so the, the way this came about is I'm actually working with an author uh, who does uh, basically Christian sci-fi. Okay. Um, and he has, he's uh, very, uh, it's, his name is David Taylor II. He's um, very prolific okay. uh, in, in terms of, like he's, he's very prolific in 
across a bunch of different projects. Like he's constantly working on something different. So it's not that this series is coming out real fast. It's that all kinds of things that he does are constantly coming out, and this is among them. Because <laughs> uh, uh, he's, uh, you know, so he's he's got the first book already out. Um, uh, called Lucifer, um, and it is basically, the, the way that he likes to describe it is, um, you know, why would someone who's basically considered the cool kid give all that up? Yeah. Uh, and, and it's really examining the fall from kind of a social, psychological perspective, um, and a lot of, there's just so much moral decision stuff that, that he's trying to get across in this book so that was a huge focus in the game huh. um, but uh, but what was interesting is that so David was not really a role player he was a board gamer um, and we met through a mutual friend through board games um, and this mutual friend said oh you should get a role playing game for your world because you've got an amazing world here um, and uh, and so he started talking to me and I took him through several different games, several different systems, mm -hmm. uh, so that I could then say, hey, what do you like and not like from each one? Sure. Um, and what ended up happening was he came up with this really interesting and, and bizarre set of uh, criteria mm -hmm. for what he wanted mechanically in the game and I looked at those criteria and I said well that doesn't exist <laughs> I'm not going to be able to use an existing system on that I am going to have to create something and boy am I going to have to come up with something wild oh. um, so yeah it, so just the, the quick rundown sure um, it was uh, he likes different kinds of dice but no more than three different kinds of dice okay uh, you should never have to roll more than one die at a time each die should have a very specific purpose, should be color-coded for that purpose. Um, don't like modifiers more than plus one or minus one. Um, and, uh, and I want a very simple character sheet with not a lot to fill out. And so that was, as I was looking at that list and thinking about that list, I thought, okay, the, the randomization of a single die at a time with no, no more modifiers than plus one or minus one, that's gonna cause problems. Yeah. Um, so I said, well, how do you feel about rolling a die and then adding something from cards to it? And so what I've got is this card-based role-playing game, um, this, this system that I'm uh, sort of calling the consequence system, mm -hmm. um, where you roll the die and if you're under your target, you start drawing from the consequence deck. And each of the consequence cards has a value, um, in, this, in this case one, two, or three, and you add that to the, to the die, and, and you can keep drawing cards until you get to the target. Hmm. But if you, and then you look at all the cards that you've drawn and you say, I am willing to accept these consequences and role play and mechanically take those consequences oh, cool. or not. Um, huh. And so that's uh, that's the, the sort of the core of how the system works. Uh, there's more to it than that, but uh, but yeah, that's 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 basically it. Um, so that was that was fine, and so it ends up being a system where um, every roll can be success if you mm -hmm. want it, but it is a tough choice uh, a lot of the time. Um, yeah, to to say well. Am I, what am I willing to do to get this success? And that 
comes back to that's really what he's trying to say yeah. in in the fiction of that, uh, of his world. I was I was <laughs> thinking that I was like, that's the that's the 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 point of that story he's telling. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. That's yeah. what a great way to incorporate that. Yeah. Um, how soon are we looking for that? So the ideal is we'll uh, be kickstarting hopefully in January. Okay. Um, uh, I've got a. Um, pretty much finished beta uh, that I've been playing for people. I uh, ran it here, um, and, uh, and it's looking good. And, you know, as far as the, the tweaks go, at this point, it's mostly just writing. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, I'm, uh, I've been playing this game for over a year now uh, in, in various playtest forms. So I'm, I'm pretty set on the mechanics. Uh, it's just a matter of um, making sure that all the the writing is is where I want it to be in, in in preparation for the Kickstarter, you know, and we'll get a little bit more art ready to go for sure. the for the Kickstarter page. But yeah, the the plan is to have that for January. I'll have you back on. Excellent. So you can promote it. Sounds good. Yeah. yeah. Um, Eric, thank you so much oh, for coming pleasure. on. Yeah. Um, this has been uh, a fun. This been a fun day. Yeah. Um, yeah. And. Uh, and uh, yeah, so uh, but thanks for stopping by the lounge, which I guess is anywhere I go. Yeah, to have this. You, you brought this comfortable lounge with you, and I'm happy to re- relax in it on a Sunday <laughs> at QCC. Awesome, thanks, man. I am here with none other than the legend. Jason Cordova. <laughs> Cordova. Yes, Cordova. Cordova. Cord- I will take both. Cordova or Cordova are both totally acceptable. How's it going? I'm, I'm good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's really great. This is uh, Queen City Conquest, my first time, yeah. and they're doing a good job. Yeah. Like, it's a great, great con. Yeah. I, I'll tell you, when I got here yesterday, I saw all the X cards on the tables. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that feels... That like Kate Bullock? Yeah. It definitely does, but it also, it feels right. Like, yeah. like it's, it's kind of like, I know with the games I was going to run, I was like, oh, I didn't make an X card. I'll just put yeah. an X on a sheet. Oh, it's there. Done. Yeah, yeah. sorted. Yeah, I thought, that, I thought it was a good touch, too. And what I thought was really... No worries. <laughs> <laughs> What I thought was really great about the X card being on there was that everyone at the con had exposure to it, so you didn't even have to like have that awkward explaining the X card moment because enough people had, you know, by the time I ran my games, enough people had seen it and done it. To where yeah. Like, oh yeah, I get it. I'm I'm all on board with it. So yeah, I thought it was uh, very cool. It was a, it was a cool touch. What are you running? I. Uh, I'm done already. Okay. Uh, it's it's Saturday evening, just so your listeners know. But I ran. Oh Jesus! Uh, the final girl. I facilitated the final girl. Oh cool! Uh, last night and then today I ran uh, Cthulhu Dark uh, Harlem Unbound. So nice. yeah, which is one of my favorite things to do. I've so. heard <laughs> such good things about Harlem Unbound. Harlem Unbound is so badass. Like it is. I mean, it kind of won everything, you know, like right. Ennies and stuff, and and uh, and we awarded it like you know a lot of accolades at the Indie Groundbreakers as well, and it's just fantastic. Like it does this thing where it takes this really particular 
social cultural moment, the Harlem Renaissance, like the height of, at least at the, at, during this time in our history, at least the height of like, you know, African American culture, right? And smashes it up with Cthulhu in this really cool way. Yeah, so, yeah really badass. That's fantastic. Um, and those those both went well, I assume. Yeah, yeah, they were great. Yeah, it's really awesome. Um, I've, I haven't played Final Girl. Um, that you said facilitate. I guess I don't. Oh, well, it's GMless. So, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's a GMless game. Uh, it, it is. You are creating a horror movie. Mm-hmm. That's the idea. And so, you get together as a group. You decide what is what is our movie going to be about. Uh, what's our killer going to be? Who are the victims? Right. And then you have. Um, you do troop play or troop style role playing where you create all these characters. You've got a bunch of characters on the table and every round you choose a new one uh-huh. and you play them and, and you are basically trying to um, establish relationships with the other characters uh, so that that character has a chance of making it to the end of the movie because the killer is killing them all off one by one right. until we get to the quote final girl, which does not have to be a girl, by the way. So I've had it be a circus bear. <laughs> dog. <laughs> Ours was a goat last night. So was it really? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a, it was the, it was a bunch of seniors who had, uh, who were having like a, senior party and they had stolen the goat mascot of the rival school mm-hmm. and the goat mascot ended up being the final girl so that's great <laughs> that's amazing yeah. <laughs> that's fun um that's i so when you when you're facilitating a game that's jamless like that um did I, i'm i'm guessing that people came in not really knowing no none of them the, the rules yeah. and everything like yeah. and so nobody played it um what are the complexities that you run into with that you know i I, well, for one thing, I don't choose a game in that circumstance that I can't explain easily sure. and play through in, in four hours, right? Like, if it if it's too complex, uh, it's probably not something I'm going to put on the table to begin with. So already, like, I already have, like, a leg up because I'm doing a fairly light game, yeah. right? But I like to... I like to, like... I like to really, like, set expectations and minimize confusion in the beginning. So I have, like, a procedure that I do to help, like established expectations at the table so that everybody has a good sense of like what we're getting into and how tonight's going to go and all that stuff right uh it's called the cats procedure i've talked about it on my shows a bunch um it stands for concept aim tone and subject matter and so you go through all those things concept aim Mm -hmm. tone and subject matter and and straight away you are what you're doing is you are you're doing two things one you are you're setting that expectation you're helping the other players have a basic understanding of the premise of what you're doing which i think is like a major step one, right? Mm-hmm. And then also what you're doing as the facilitator, or if it's a GM'd game, you are getting a chance to be on stage, mm-hmm. right? Like it's the sort of easy being on stage, right? Going through the CATS procedure. So I like to like head off complexities at the past. So <laughs> I, yeah, so, and then, and then, but, but yeah, mostly I just choose games that are pretty easy to teach though, like in a circular way, right? Sure. We learn it as we need it. So, right. Yeah. It makes sense. It, yeah. it, um, it's, it's funny because I, I haven't done a lot of the, that style, and actually last night Phil did, um, uh, uh, <clears throat> boy, names, Phil for misdirected Mark. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he did turning point, turning point yeah, for me. Yeah, um, and um, that was amazing. And I and I'm not somebody that grasps rules quick, quickly, mm-hmm. so the fact that I didn't feel uncomfortable about the rules thing, like it just kind of fell together. Um, and I was really impressed with that. Yeah. Um, 
And so I guess that's that's why where that question came up, like like how do you prepare for that? But you you have a method. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I mean, I, well, I got a lot of experience too. Right? I had a lot of experience. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, like yeah. that helps a lot, right? I mean, I've I've been around the block as far as like explaining games to brand new people, right? <laughs> um, but you know, but you can kind of cut to the chase by having a good procedure. Sure, you know, so. sure, absolutely it makes sense. Yeah. Um, and everybody can hear about that procedure procedure on one of your many podcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a boy. If you want to hear more about me and my gaming thoughts <laughs> I've presented you with plenty of opportunities listeners <laughs> there's well, so many opportunities <laughs> one of the things I want to ask you too is um, the so so you um, you you're the gauntlet I mean you aren't the gauntlet but it's something that you you were a massive part in building it mm -hmm. uh, as as far as I know you're the founder or one of the founders uh, yeah ish okay. um, so I would say that well sorry I'm cutting I'm jumping to the chase Did you, yeah <laughs> no, it's fine okay yeah well so I would say that um, you know the gauntlet existed before uh, I was involved with it okay um, it, but it wasn't really anything it was a it was a defunct message board, a G plus community for organizing D and D games. Really? Yeah. And so when I moved to Houston, um, I needed someone to play with. Like mm -hmm. I couldn't find groups to play with because all the, I mean, in Houston at that time it was mostly just Pathfinder and this would have been like 2013 mm -hmm. and Houston was most, mostly Pathfinder and other groups that weren't playing Pathfinder were like, very closed, like they wouldn't take new members or whatever, you okay. know. And so I, I was like really just like looking for like someone to play games with. And so I found this G plus community called the Gauntlet, and I just posted like no one had posted for months and months, but I just posted. I was like, hey, I just moved here. I'd like to, I don't know. I'm interested in like I was, was Burning Wheel at the time. I'm interested in running Burning Wheel. Who wants to play Burning Wheel with me? You know. And this uh, really awesome guy, Carrie, uh, he responded he was like yeah i have a um I, my, my, at my workplace my office like after hours on fridays like i have access to it we can just play there i was like okay cool and so a couple of other people joined us and we uh, we didn't end up playing burning wheel we just played some uh i think far trek have you ever heard of far trek it's like osr star trek or something huh. real rules like kind of star trek with the serial numbers filed off uh we played far trek and then you know that was fun we we liked each other and so we just continued to um uh myself uh, Dan Lewis, who was the uh, original co-host of mine on the Gauntlet podcast, mm -hmm. um, and uh, a couple of other people, we just like met really regularly in this office <laughs> um, on Friday nights. And then on Friday nights, we, we added a Sunday afternoon thing at my house, and then we added a Wednesday thing at a local bar. Uh -huh. And we began, we just grew and grew and grew until, um, you know, about two years later, uh, well, not quite two years, maybe a year and a half later even, the gauntlet like rivaled the pathfinder group right like we were big like sure. our wednesday our wednesday meetup had like you know four or five tables going you wow. know and so um we 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 really really like ramped up really quickly and then um yeah so that was my involvement with it and then came podcasts and everything else so, yeah. <laughs> and the rest is all the rest, the rest is history yeah I, I have stuck on though like i'm the person who there was that core group of people who kind of really got it going but i'm the person who has kept the flame stuck alive yeah, yeah. yeah so. um at what point did did you transition to? Because, I mean, when I think of the Gauntlet, I think of of online gaming with yep. like really cool, awesome people. Right. Um, 
at what point did you kind of transition to that? So the online thing came about because I was, I had to, uh, life circumstances forced me to move from Houston. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I was sad that I wasn't going to get to play with my group anymore, right? <laughs> and so I was like, I was like, guys, we got to figure something out because I want to like keep playing. You know, I want to keep playing with all of you. I can't, you know, I can't just like, I don't want to give this up. And so uh, Rich Rogers, I don't know if you know Rich, but Rich Rogers, who co-hosts Plus One Forward, yes, he's, he's involved in lots of stuff we do. Um, he was like, hey, I can help you, I can help you figure out the online play if you want, you know. I was like, okay, cool. And and then he was like, maybe we can make it an official thing, like you know. And I think that's when we named it Gauntlet Hangouts. And uh, so originally Gauntlet Hangouts, which is now our giant, robust calendar, right? Uh, originally it was just like me wanting to stay in touch with my friends in Houston, <laughs> but it actually, it grew and grew. Uh, uh, now we're up to, our peak this year was 150 sessions in one month. Wow. Yeah, I mean, we were, I mean, there was, I mean, it was like, there was one Wednesday, you know, recently where there was like seven games being run. Yeah. You know? Like it was just stuff like that, right? And uh, so it's grown in a huge way. But originally it was, yeah, originally it was, well, I, I want to keep in touch with my friends. And, but we just grew it to be this more public thing. And um, at that point, we were already doing the podcasts. And so, you know, having the podcasts uh, as a way of, like, reaching people, um, mm -hmm. you know, and playing lots of Dungeon World. Dungeon World's always been our big, like, our bread and butter game, you mm -hmm. know, um, that, that we were able to draw a lot of people in. So. That's amazing. Yeah, it's... The other thing I think of with with Gauntlet is um, <clears throat> how open it is. How mm -hmm. how um, you know it's it's not. There's a lot of communities uh, that you run into with gaming, and all kind of always have that are like this is this is what They're we gross do. As fuck and like yeah. exclusionary. Yeah, yeah, I'll say it. I mean, yeah, <laughs> like um, yeah. I mean, well, you know, if you think about like the original, like how the present day gauntlet got started it like i said earlier it was because i was i was i had groups of people who were like no you can't play with us yeah. we're not accepting right. new members we don't want to play that you know um and so yeah like i mean that you know so so we we have a we have a culture of like open table play right that's mm -hmm. our culture you know we put something on the calendar and you can't restrict who can attend like mm -hmm. everyone is everyone who's able to rsvp um there's a kind of a Patreon barrier there for most people, but like everybody who's able to RSVP is allowed to RSVP. They don't have to have had any like prior experience or whatever, right? Sure. Or, or prior playing in the campaign or whatever. So basically if we do a campaign on the gauntlet, we have, we require that it be broken up into four session blocks. And basically during those four sessions, like you have to let new people try to join. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, so that's worked really well for us. And then even just, and then we've kind of expanded beyond the idea of like general open table play as a way of like building opportunities for people to play, but, but expanding that to be, you know, to cover issues of like inclusivity and diversity, right? Which is majorly important for us. Oh, right? yeah. And so, uh, you know, and that's, and it's all just part of the same culture. Like how do we get the maximum number of people enjoying this thing we love? Right. Right. So, right. Yeah. Uh, which is, when whenever I hear people that push against anything like diversity in gaming or in, you know in, in being inclusive, um, I just can't say the word inclusivity. Oh, I just did. Okay, um, <laughs> but whenever I hear anybody push against that, I'm like, why the fuck do you want fewer people? Like, I know why it is. I mean, the reason why it is is because people who rail against that stuff are fundamentally scared of 
being made to feel ashamed or guilty about their behavior. And so... Okay. You know, I think that's what it is. And so, like, if... If we have more women at the table, if we have more people of color, if we have like you know more queer people at the table, I may have to monitor myself, or I might, I might discover that I play a game in a way that's offensive to people, right? And I don't, and I shouldn't have to regulate or modulate my behavior. Yeah, that's what it is. That's all it is. So these are people that that, <laughs> that have bad behavior, right? And, and are aware that they have. Bad it, behavior. Yeah. Well, I mean, it could be it could be operating on a subconscious level, I guess, but like. But I truly, whether it's, a, whether it's a conscious or a subconscious thing, I believe that mostly people just don't want to be told the way you're doing something is, makes you look like a dick. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's just, can I say that? Sorry, I don't know if this is. No, sure. oh, I yeah. swore <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I'm really foul mouth listeners. I'm that's sorry. okay. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, I think that's kind of what it is. It's like, I don't want to be told I'm doing something wrong. I don't want to be told, like, you know, when really at the end of the day, you know, stuff like the X card, stuff like lines and veils, safety tools, uh, you know, like um, community guidelines and expectations, I don't consider those things to be an inhibition on play. I consider them to be an enhancement of play, mm-hmm. right? It's a, it's almost, we don't like to say it's like permission to go hard, but it's it's it actually gives you the freedom to like really explore some dark territory and you and you can feel comfortable at least trying to explore dark or challenging uh, content because you have these things in place that help yeah put a check on everybody right and, yeah. and you need those things you know and so to my mind like you know really strong like guidelines about diversity inclusivity uh, really you know mandating safety tools like the X card like we talked about all the, all those things in my mind are not restrictions on play. They are ways of enhancing mm-hmm. our collective experience, right? And uh, but that's just a hard message to <laughs> no, get that's, across sometimes, right? If if the lounge has any mantra, mm-hmm. it's that because <laughs> that's been repeated a lot mm-hmm. since I started doing this show earlier this year. Um, you know, it, it, those are those are those can are tools that you can use to leverage. Um, mo- like like a greater array of emotions into Absolutely. a game. You look at a game like Bluebeard's Bride, which is a very critically and commercially successful uh, feminine horror game by uh, Marissa Kelly, Sarah Richardson, and um, and Whitney Beltron, uh, and published by Magpie. They that's an intense fucking game, and that game. In my opinion, that game could not exist without a culture of safety tools, mm-hmm. right? Like, it goes into such dark, terrible territory, and I personally love that. That's how I like to play. But it goes into such dark territory that if you didn't have safety tools, if you didn't have a collective desire to to be good, trustworthy players, yeah. you, you wouldn't be able to have a game like that because it would just always, um, I don't know, like I just I just think it would fly off the rails and I think that, I think you would have like a lot of um, just misunderstandings and resentment and you know, like I, I just don't, you know, you think about like, I, this is a terrible, terrible example, but it, so Listers is a horrible example and I hate to make to make it, but you think about something like, like a really older, gross fucking thing like... Um, like fatal, right, or something oh like that, boy. right? Like I'm yeah. not gonna go into all that, but but I'm not saying there's a space for that. I think that's that's particularly disgusting and gross. But I do think there's a lot of like older things or uh, like the what's the old D and D 
sex book, like oh, uh, Tome of Erotic Horrors, yeah, or whatever, something right? like yeah, whatever, that. Whatever it is, you know, you think about a lot of those things. I think the reason why a lot of those we never got like a healthy presentation or exploration of issues related to sexuality and role playing games because we didn't have the right ways of interrogating and and evolving those early yeah attempts and I yeah and I, I actually hate that I mentioned fatal because that's so gross but like but like the book of erotic desire or whatever the fuck it's called like that's a, it's a the best as best I can tell it's kind of a crude dumb thing but it doesn't but like if there had been tools in place back then for like constructively engaging with mm -hmm. material like this we might have actually grown into something that's much more mature and interesting right you it, know? it's funny you mention that because I I do own that um, and uh, and I didn't buy it for use, mm -hmm. I bought it for fascination. Yeah, and it—it's really like it tries to portray this positive, like 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 sex-forward message, mm -hmm. um, in a really cumbersome way. <laughs> right. Yeah. But if it had safety tools incorporated mm -hmm. in it, they could have done it. Well, and and you know, and like back then, we could have you know instead of you know we had like. We had two decades of satanic panic to work through, right? right? Like, like if we if, if if instead we had like a a method for like productively and safely engaging with with complicated, you know, difficult material, who knows what kind of games we'd be playing nowadays, right? Sure. And I and, and and I think we're actually getting there. That's what, I think Bluebeard's Bride is emblematic of that. I think um, games like um, I'm just off the top of my head, I'm trying to think of oh, a Monster Hearts, right? Or, or great know, example, yeah, yeah, like 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 we have like stuff that now is like. Gosh, like if it had been around when I was a teenager, it like I would probably be a totally different person if I had had a chance to play Monster Hearts as a teenager instead of Two E. <laughs> I would, <laughs> right? like, me too. I'd be a totally different person. Yeah. but 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 I think you can't have stuff like that without a strong culture of mm -hmm. like safety, right? Mm -hmm. So I agree, and I think I think also part of that is the evolution of the industry itself. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I'm I don't know for sure. But I'm guessing that the first cars were probably built without brakes, you know. Like, <laughs> well, definitely seatbelts, right? <laughs> right. Let's say seatbelts. You know, and and I think that that's that's what it is. It's putting these safety mechanisms into the culture that allow people to do things that are, uh, you know, widening widening the range of. Um, I said emotion already. I feel like I'm repeating myself. Mm -hmm. the, the example I'm thinking of, though, is I love to run games where people play villains. Mm -hmm. And uh, and they fail more often than not. And now I'm at a point where, like, oh, I can incorporate these elements into it. Yeah. And now I've got the opportunity to really do some villain stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, ex that's exactly right. Um you know, I I love role playing games right now. Mm -hmm. You know, like I think I think role playing games are so interesting and so there's so much possibility. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, it's something we should be. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited. I, I do think that like the hobby is going to take a long time, but I do think the rest of the hobby will eventually kind of get. I think so to the place where indie is right. I think so. so. Yeah. I think so. I think it's it's going faster than I thought it would mm -hmm. too. Um, well, this has been amazing. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Jason, if they want, if people want to find you on Twitter, mm -hmm. 
Um, it would be. I am at Gauntlet RPG. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is. <laughs> it is both. Uh, the community Twitter and my personal Twitter, sure. so you get a nice fine mix of announcements plus hot takes. Yeah. So enjoy. <laughs> uh, find me there. Um, and then, uh, and of course, everybody can go to Google Plus and look up Gauntlet Hangouts. And um, we have a website uh, which just has access yeah. to everything we do, which is gauntlet-rpg.com. Yeah, so and that's, that's that's our the, hub. That's the hub. Yeah. Um, one final question: Did you ever get the chance to run that burning wheel? Uh, I did. Not. <laughs> no, I did not. I actually didn't. And uh, I don't know how much expl- explanation you want to hear, but I did not. Uh, I had I'd been playing Burning Wheel in Austin and then was not able to get it going in Houston. But uh, I did get to play stuff like the Shabal Hiri Roach. Oh. And, and stuff like that. Yeah, I was. Yeah, so. But, but it was. It's okay, though. Yeah. It's, t- yeah. <laughs> it's all right. We don't. I bet there's many games in my past. I'm like, oh. But would I go back? Burning Wheel's challenging. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a well-known like I have a well-known hate on for Burning Wheel, but it's but it's but it's like it comes from an affectionate place. Like I actually really love Burning Wheel, but mm-hmm. everyone just thinks I hate it. But <laughs> well, now we've cleared up the record. <laughs> it's all cleared out. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for Thanks, coming on Jesse, the lounge. Yeah. To quote Dr. Carol Marcus, "Can I cook or can't I?" Yeah, I mean, it's really the guests that are cooking. Um, Awesome guests, though, right? Eric Simon of Four in Hand Games. He is FIHgames.com and at Fairman Rogers on Twitter. Check out Brocalypse and Steamscapes. Eric does cool stuff, but man, that, what a cool conversation about dice mechanics. It's, you know, I think Eric was a little worried it might be dry, but you know what? I said, my audience is intelligent, is, is introspective, and attractive. And then he was like, you have to mention that they're attractive? I'm like, I feel like I do. They're all good-looking, handsome folks out there. And then, of course, Jason Cordova from The Gauntlet. I called him a legend. He laughed, but I meant it. The Gauntlet community is massive. It's awesome. It's cool. Go check them out. Gauntlet-RPG.com at GauntletRPG on Twitter. And if you just search for The Gauntlet, on Google Plus, you'll find that thriving, awesome community of theirs. Um, and you can find them on, on Patreon as well. There's some money their way. While you're at, while you're there, you can hit up my Patreon. It's patreon.com slash docpalindrome. You can find me at docpalindrome everywhere. And, uh, and, you know, while you're already hitting up Patreon, I mean, Contessa can really use some help, so check them out. Um, they're doing amazing things. They had, they were, they had a great presence at uh, QCC, so. The Gauntlet is a misdirected mark production. The media arm of Encoded Designs. Check out some other shows on the Misdirected Mark Network, like this one. 
Download D&D, where Chris and the mad wizard Sean Merwin dish about everything D&D with a focus on the brand and newest edition of the world's most popular tabletop game. I got some folks to thank here. I'm going to go through this quick. I got Emily Fysons, John Arcadian, Larry Hot, Michael J. Benensky, Nick, Richard Melena Weber, Sean Nicholson. Those are the soldiers, the MMP soldiers. So yeah. Oh yeah, that song I just ran out of. <laughs> That's and so it begins by Artificial Music, used under Creative Commons 3.0. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on The Lounge. <laughs>